We come now to the text for this morning's sermon from Matthew chapter 5. And I have this to say by way of introduction. It is almost always helpful in understanding the Bible to know the context from which it comes. This passage comes from uh, a three-chapter chunk called the Sermon on the Mount. And at the very beginning of that passage, it says that Jesus gathered together with his disciples. And that means that everything said in the Sermon on the Mount is said to the disciples. These are words in the family. So these are, what Jesus is saying is not, if you do these things that I'm telling you, then maybe you can be my sons and daughters. He's saying, you are my sons and daughters, and nothing will ever change that. And now, because you are my sons and daughters, let's talk about life in our family. And so, uh, for those of us, uh, he's called himself. He has these words for us, words in the family. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. All right. Um, we are going to talk about uh, a, a difficult task that we're called to as Christians. And that task is to respond to the words of Jesus there in Matthew 5, where he says, um, you are to pray for your enemies and you are to love them. And uh, so I want to uh, take some time and just uh, lift this message up to the Lord and ask him to intervene for us. And will you join me in prayer? Let's lift our hearts up to him. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can gather. Thank you that we are here uh, as your unique people. And we do lift up uh, this text to, to, to our own hearts. We lift it to you. And we ask that it will make sense. And we will, in our hearts, become warm to its truth. And we will find great truths about you that are rich, deep, and mysterious. And we will find a way to worship you uh, because we've been with you. Uh, and we ask that we will be different having heard your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, it is uh, an event that we can't really avoid to remember. Uh, this is the advertiser from 10 years ago. Uh, I'm sure all of you remember where you were on that day. Uh, 3.30 in the morning, I got a phone call from uh, Jane, uh, Linda Pernat. Some of you remember the Pernats. And, uh, Jamie Pernat was on his way to the Pentagon and uh, 
Marianne took the phone, and, uh, and then I, Marianne uh, just said to me, you need to go downstairs and watch TV. And I just had this, you know, as so many of you, this uh, sickening feeling like what on earth would be on television that would be this big a deal at 3.30 in the morning. So uh, we're here, uh, and it's, it's impossible as a church to not remember uh, 9-11 and to think about it and to uh, apply something of it to our own lives. Um, Nineteen men were trained by al-Qaeda. Uh, they carried out a coordinated attack on the United States. It had been planned for years. Uh, a simultaneous hijacking of four large passenger aircraft, intending to uh, crash them into significant landmarks in the United States, inflicting as much death and destruction as possible. Uh, three of the planes hit their targets. A fourth crashed into a field in Pennsylvania. On a single day, these deliberate acts of mass murder killed uh, three, some 3,000, nearly 3,000 human beings uh, from 57 different countries. And more than 400 of the dead were first responder, responders, EMT workers, city firefighters, and police officers. Uh, September 11th will be remembered for a long, long time. People commented that it was such a beautiful day. And it was an extraordinary day. The New York skyline, the beautiful blue sky. Uh, but together, uh, we, we gathered together today not to uh, have a national remembrance in this room. We gather together today as worshipers of the triune God. We, we gather in a different way. We want to acknowledge, though, there are people in our midst who serve in the military. We want to thank you for your service to our nation. Uh, much of what you have done, I would imagine, in the last 10 years has been related to 9-11 strategies and uh, responses. And again, we thank you for your service to our nation. We are in a series about the loves that we have in our hearts, the things that we love. Uh, that's the trouble. We have disordered loves. We've been uh, guided by Scripture, and we're looking at ten topics. There's probably a hundred topics, but we're going to look at, excuse me, we're looking at eight topics. I said ten. Today we're looking at enemy love. And if there's anything true about the way we're wired, it is this. Uh, before we think and before we believe, we love. We have instincts. We love those who love us. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 5. That's, that's sort of our instinct. That's how we live. Uh, we love family first, and uh, maybe we might think that we love our neighbors, uh, but of course, we, who loves their enemies? Who teaches that? Um, I am not here this morning to give a theological uh, rebuttal to Islam or to explore uh, what's wrong with Islam. I'm here to expound the God's Word and apply it to you in a particular way. Uh, we have been studying uh, these topics and been guided by uh, the thoughts of St. Augustine, who posited that our hearts are really the trouble spot for the things that we love. 
when evil is perpetrated, when evil is thought, when Cain began to imagine, I'd like to kill my brother. Uh, it, it, was an, it was an evil thought, but no one knew he was th- thinking it. Evil hides. Evil has an advantage in that way. It can rise up and it can spring, uh, uh, spring up uh, unknown. It has a surprise factor. And uh, evil is very troubling uh, to deal with because it exists and we've got to wrestle with it. And I want to know what God has, a res- has to say to us as Christians about it. Behind acts of evil, though, is, uh, is love. It's distorted, it's wicked, but it is a, there's a love, a pleasure, a desire. Uh, the Bible repeatedly says that man loves wickedness, man loves evil. It's a desire. Evil is very disruptive. It is loud, it's disturbing, it calls attention to itself. Goodness is very different, though. Goodness is rather quiet. It's self-effacing. It sort of lumbers along unnoticed. Uh, The bank teller who works for years and years and does a good job, no one notices, but everybody notices the bank robber. Isn't that interesting? And we're here today, uh, 10 years ago, uh, evil got our attention, didn't it? But also it's interesting that goodness began to overcome that evil in the response of the emergency workers. Uh, They are remembered, Uh, they are noticed, and they will be remembered for years to come. People have tried to come up with reasons for why evil exists. Uh, People have dismissed Christianity because uh, of the existence of evil. What could be more uh, real than evil? And so they come up with ideas like, well, you believe in an all-good God. Well, he must not be all-powerful if he can't prevent evil. And if he can't prevent, uh, or if he could prevent evil, then he must not be all-good. Perhaps you've heard that reasoning. It's interesting in this passage, Jesus doesn't let uh, his heavenly Father be put into some sort of reductionistic uh, box or put, put in some box where God can only be good uh, and, but unable to do anything with evil or he must be less than good uh, but all-powerful. Jesus responds and says to his disciples, you have, you have been raised to believe that it makes sense that you love your neighbors and you, and you hate your enemies. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that we are to hate our enemies. It does say we're to love our neighbor. And what they concluded back then was, well, if the Bible says love your neighbor, then it must mean what? It must mean that you, you have a right to hate those who are, who are your enemies. And Jesus goes on and he says, now I want you to do two things. I want you to pray... And I want you to love your enemies. Uh, and he, he bases it in verse 45. Take a look at this. So that you may be your sons of your father. <laughs> uh, that's the, his rationale. That, this is how, so you can be like your father. And what does your father do? Well, he's in heaven, but he makes his son to do something. He makes his son to rise on the evil and the good, older translations, the righteous and the unrighteous. Uh, God actively brings sunshine upon the crops of people who have no interest in obeying his will and doing his will. He makes their tomatoes become ripe. He adds flavor to their avocados. He makes sure that life is fairly consistent and good for them. 
He makes the rain to shine on the, the righteous and the unrighteous. He sends rain and sun. Those are two illustrations of nature. The consistent, consistent experience of uh, the unrighteous is a consistent world. That's what he does. And then Jesus reasons, uh, verse 46, If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, look at verse 48, you, therefore, must be... Boy, I wish he hadn't said this. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. In the context, Jesus is saying, you are to be perfectly forbearing. Perfectly um, bearing with your enemy. Now, he's not speaking to nations, by the way. Nations have a right to defend themselves. Nations have a right to defend themselves. They have a right to protect the innocent uh, within their borders. Nations have a right to respond to evil in a different way than individuals. Jesus has been talking about so many subjects in the, the Sermon on the Mount. He's been applying, essentially he's been the second Moses. And he's been providing a perfect interpretation of the law. And here's, the, here's, the, here's a summary of, the, of the, the second tablet of the law. You shall love your neighbor. Well, it extends way beyond the borders of your own family. Enemy love. I would say that enemy love is probably the highest love uh, we would ever, ever express in this fallen world. I think it's the toughest one. I think it is extraordinarily impossible to express uh, care and love and to actually pray and to, and to wish well for someone who uh, is determined to do you harm. And uh, that is extremely difficult to do. Uh, so we're to be sons of our Heavenly Father. We are to prove that we belong to Him. What does God do to uh, those who are unrighteous? He gives them a consistent world. What do they do with that consistent world, like the, the molecules in, in jet fuel? Uh, the, 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 the controls... Uh, uh, in, in, the, uh, in the instrument panel of the airplane, uh, the precision of those controls, what does he do with those? <clears throat> he supplies a nature that is consistent so those things function. Uh, this is an outrageous text, if you are thinking. If you are a logical person, if you are a person of reason, if you are a person of, uh, uh, of, of order... Jesus is saying, I want you to enter into your Father's care of this world, and it extends to righteous people and unrighteous people. He allowed the molecules, listen to this, he allowed the molecules of that jet fuel to function on, on that morning, September 11. Are you, all, are you entering into the difficulty of this? He allowed nature to function well that morning.
he is committed to the continued existence of this world for the sake of the gospel. We know that he has declared, our God, judgment day is at hand. The apostolic preaching included good news about Jesus, and there's only so much time left in this world. Judgment day is, has been declared. The world's clock is ticking down. But not yet. Judgment day has not arrived yet. And now we enter into this crazy time where it's very difficult for, for us to understand why God would be this way. We have tasted evil. We've seen it. We've experienced it. And we are wondering what on earth is God doing? He calls us to have enemy love, the highest love that I think we could express in this world. So uh, what are we to learn from this text? Well, God is the pace setter. God's the pace setter toward, uh, of enemy love. He's the one who sets the pace. Now, it's not only in this text, but we learn that God is the pace setter because he sends his son to this earth. Uh, someone was once asked a professor, what is the most significant event in world history? And the professor said, God becoming incarnate. And that's a true, that's a true statement. That's a, that's a right answer. And so God is the pace setter, and he says to this evil world, I'll send my son and I'll enter into it. And his son is a response to God dealing with evil. Jesus came to destroy a rival kingdom and to, reign, and to bring in the reign of God. In Christ, we see what God is really like. God is one who comes after the things that are real, visceral threats to us. God is willing to take on evil, and he takes on evil by sending his son. Jesus feeds the hungry, and he heals the sick of disease. He casts out demons, and he says at every juncture, this is evidence that the kingdom of God is at hand. It is a taste of the final day of glory. And ultimately, he comes to deal with death. He calls Lazarus out of the tomb, and Lazarus lives. He commands and makes sure that the molecules that make up nature and various objects obey him. He has that kind of sovereign power. God is willing to take on evil by bringing his son to this earth. And Jesus says here that the Father causes the Son to shine upon the righteous and the unrighteous. To what end? To what end does He do this? He does this that there might be another day for the world to hear the gospel. He is consistent in His long-suffering. But what's most unique is that he uses this world and the molecules that made up the cross, the wood within that cross, and, and the, 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 the constitution of the nails themselves and, the, and the, the chemical makeup of that metal. And he used that and he, helped, he kept it consistent and he made the, 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 uh, the oxygen levels 
uh, of the Roman of the Roman soldiers. He made the air function well that day when he crucified his son. In other words, everything was working well. The, the, the wheat crops that grew and became the bread that the soldiers ate, that energy was coursing through their bodies, supplied by the sun that the Father made sure to shine on those crops. And so here's what's happening. God provided a consistent nature for the evil that was committed 10 years ago, and, the committed, and it was committed by Cain, uh, and, and every, everyone we can think of or imagine, he provided a, a consistent nature for that. But here's what we know about our God. He entered into that world, and he made sure that the same nature uh, and the evil that would be per- perpetrated against his son would actually take place. And he made sure that those nails stuck in that wood and held his son to that cross, that evil would finally be vanquished. That is our good news on 9-11 Remembrance Day. His father was willing to bring his son into this world and to judge evil. It's interesting that there were two I-beams that were left standing in the rubble of the two towers in New York. It's been photographed. Many of you have seen that picture. They formed a cross, those two iron I-beams. It's interesting that in the rubble, a cross remained standing. And what is God's response to human evil? It's a cross. And in the cross, we find what evil was trying to do. It was trying to destroy this goodness. It's interesting, though, that an irony now begins to develop. That which was destroyed couldn't quite destroy the cross. Those who tried to destroy what was good failed. In the cross we see in the midst of evil's rubble its goodness. You can see that evil has exhausted itself outside the city of Jerusalem on a hill. What appears to be nothing but condemnation, defeat, death, and humiliation, in reality turns out to be salvation, victory, life, and exaltation. You see, we are those who are in on the big picture. We know that in the end, the church will be the last institution standing on the earth. We know that all the kingdoms of men, whether they be religious or irreligious, we know that all the kingdoms of men have a moment of glory, but they pass. What else does history tell us? We know that A world is coming, and Christ has assured us that world because he has vanquished evil in the cross. David Nalgol, his book that's influenced me tremendously, he writes, uh, he says this, the mystery of the kingdom is the mystery of the cross. Salvation through condemnation, victory through defeat, life through death, 
exaltation through humiliation. And the early church would say, Christus victor, the Lord rules through the cross. You're in on the, you're in on the secret. You've got a cross that's going to give you power. Be like your heavenly father. He's long-suffering toward this world. He cares for this world. It, it's disturbing because we'd like things to happen now. And we wait, knowing Christ is the victor. Rejoice in that hope this week. Let's pray. Father, you call us to be like you. You provide a cross that allows us to be like you. Father, we pray for our nation. We pray for our military, and we pray for strategies that will help keep us safe. Safe, Lord, that we could be stronger in the gospel and not distracted. Father, we thank you for missionaries even right now who are, who are planning strategies on how to reach Muslim nations. We thank you for their courage. We thank you for their love. We thank you that they understand the cross in such a way that, they're, that they're, their fears are being subsided. Thank you for the gospel today. We thank you. Give us strength. We want to love our enemies. We don't know what that's like, but we're willing to, by faith, explore it. In Christ's name, amen.